0: M S W Media. I'd like to thank Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com/dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
1: Moves,
0: Hello, and welcome to The Daily Beans for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. Today, the 11th Circuit throws the book at Judge Aileen Cannon and approves the stay motion filed by the Department of Justice. The January 6th committee has struck a deal with Jenny Thomas for her testimony. Judge Cannon strikes a couple of paragraphs from her order following the 11th Circuit's ruling in favor of the Justice Department. Judge Deary, the special master, rolls out his schedule for review of the rest of the documents in the Mar-a-Lago case. Hitler cosplayer Cusinelli is sentenced to four years in prison for his role in the one-sixth attack on the Capitol. A Trump judge laughs the pillow man out of court. And the ex-director of Mississippi's welfare agency has pled guilty in an embezzlement scheme. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. Happy Friday.
2: Happy Friday. AG, before we get started, we have a listener. Her daughter had surgery yesterday, and I said I was going to tell Elizabeth good luck, but I wasn't on the beans because we did a crossover episode. So I just want to say, Elizabeth, if you're listening, we hope the surgery went well. We are sending you love and healing
0: light, and I know you're going to be a rock star. So there's that. 100%. 100%. Thank you for bringing that up. And um, also today, real quick, Jenny Thomas has agreed to be interviewed by the January 6th committee. That should be I'm going to say interesting. Yep. I don't think she's going to provide anything worth anything. Nope. I think she might, uh, <laughs> you know, plead the fifth a bunch or just be a dick in general. A lot of folks are asking, why don't they subpoena her? Well, you know, I mean, that would take a long time in court. They only have a couple of months left. So it's best that they were able to secure this discussion and interview that they're going to have with her on, on tape. They're going to videotape. it. It'll be in the next few weeks. We have a hearing confirmation time and date. It's going to be September 28th. And it's going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's 10 a.m. to you and me on the best coast, Dana. I will be up and I will probably be over at Kathy Griffins watching that in her screening room. So it's— you definitely will be. It's going to be very, very uh, interesting to say the least. What else happening? Oh, I'm going to be talking with David Korn later in the show. He's the author of the new book, American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. Also, we have a new show coming up on MSW Media. We have a new show with Elizabeth Cronise McLaughlin. It's called Living Through It. It drops October 3rd. It premieres October 3rd featuring an interview with Malcolm Kenyatta. I'm really super proud to keep bringing relevant political content to MSW Media, so I'm sure everyone's going to love that show. Again, it's called Living Through It. Also, some breaking news. Trump attorneys Corcoran, Rally, and Parla Tour met with Thomas Wyndham. Remember the guy who was brought in by Merrick Garland to head up the 1 6 investigation last January? Mm-hmm. They all met at the Department of Justice today about Trump and the 1 6 investigation. That's all we know so far, but they were spotted coming in and out of Wyndham's office, and they know Wyndham was in there too. They saw him going in. So, all kinds of interesting news going on today. We have a lot to get to. Let's hit the hot note. Awesome. Hot notes. Baby, First up, lots of news in the Mar-a-Lago case. As you know, during the show yesterday, the 11th Circuit ruled in the Department of Justice appeal of parts of Judge Cannon's stay that blocked the Department of Justice from using the 100 or so classified documents or documents with classification markings in its criminal investigation and national security risk assessment, which are inextricably linked. Here's a little brief history here. We know Donald waited two weeks and then sued the Department of Justice asking for a few things. He wanted The court to appoint a special master. He wanted the DOJ to stop reviewing the material they seized during the search warrant until a special master was appointed. They wanted to require the DOJ to produce a more detailed inventory of what they took. And they wanted to require the DOJ to give stuff back that wasn't within the scope of the warrant. Department of Justice said, all that's stupid because to get your stuff back, you have to show callous disregard for Trump's constitutional rights, which is a Ritchie factor, which Trump conceded didn't happen. And so did Judge Cannon. But Judge Cannon ruled anyhow, because she felt like it, that Trump could have a special master and told the Department of Justice to stop using the classified documents in their criminal probe. So Department of Justice asked Judge Cannon to stay part of her order with regard to the documents with classified markings, because those belong to the government, even if Donald declassified them by thinking about it or whatever the fuck, (laughs) which he refused to assert to the court because you can't lie to the court or you get in trouble. Now, Cannon denied that motion from the Department of Justice to stay part of her order. And during that same denial, she appointed Judge Deary as special master, while also clarifying from her previous order that the special master Deary and Trump's lawyers should get access to review the classified documents. The Department of Justice then appealed to the 11th Circuit, the court above Cannon's head, asking for the same narrow relief. Plus, they said no way should Deary and Trump's lawyers have access to the classified stuff. That's stupid. Trump's team said, ha ha ha, since you added that part about Deary and Trump's lawyers not having access, and that was in the appointment of Deary order, the 11th Circuit doesn't have jurisdiction and therefore can't hear any of your arguments. DOJ responded saying, what the fuck ever, uh, the part about not sharing classified documents with Deary and Trump's lawyers wasn't part of the special master appointment order. It was a clarification from her original order, the one we have a problem with, and the 11th Circuit totally has jurisdiction. Well, the 11th Circuit agreed with the Department of Justice on everything. I even did a thread about the similarity of the language between the DOJ filings and the 11th Circuit ruling. Both Department of Justice and the 11th Circuit said the concept of declassification was a red herring. They both used the term red herring. They both agreed Canon didn't have an equitable jurisdiction because of the first Ritchie factor that requires callous disregard for constitutional rights, and that wasn't met. And it was great, by the way, that the 11th Circuit said Since the first thing with the constitutional rights wasn't met, we don't even have to address the other Ritchie factors because you failed to meet the first one. But we will anyhow for funsies. (laughs) And they shot down all those arguments, too, for the same reasons the DOJ argued they should. Both the DOJ and the 11th Circuit agreed that Donald can't possibly have ownership over the documents with classified markings. They both agreed that it's not the government's burden to prove the docs are classified. It's Donald's burden to prove they're not. And they both agreed that the order allowing access to the classified docs for the special master Deary and the Trump lawyers was part of the original order and not part of the special master appointment. So the 11th circuit totally has jurisdiction. They both agreed the national security risk assessment is inextricably linked to the criminal probe and you can't separate them out or bifurcate them. Truly a perfect ruling from the three judge panel, two of which were Trump appointees. Now, lots of folks are concerned that Donald will delay more by taking this on banc, meaning appealing to the entire panel of 11th Circuit judges, and then after that by taking it to the Supreme Court. Well, I have some good news. Trump can't appeal on banc because this is a stay and the full court panel does not hear appeals for stays. So no on banc. And with regards to the Supreme Court, they can't stay a stay either. So they would have to actually reach down proactively and reinstate Judge Cannon's order. First, they're not going to do that in time to stop the DOJ from using these in their criminal probe. And second, Judge Eileen Cannon herself today made that virtually impossible for SCOTUS to do by striking parts of her own order that were shot down by the 11th Circuit yesterday. (laughs) She struck down the part of her order telling Deary to review the 100 classified documents first, and she struck down the part of her order that tells the DOJ to make the classified docs available to Donald's lawyers. And Steve Vladek tweets, quote, on whether Judge Cannon's amendment to her own order kills Trump's ability to ask the Supreme Court to vacate the 11th Circuit stay. My own view is formally, no, it doesn't kill it. The stay is still out there. But practically, yes, because it makes it legally impossible for Trump to meet the standard for vacatur. And that means it makes it legally impossible for Trump to meet the standard to set aside the 11th Circuit's ruling. So, (laughs) now with regard to the rest of the documents not marked classified the other 11,000 or so. Judge Deery the special master rolled out his plan for review from the Washington Post. The Mar-a-Lago special master on Thursday ordered Donald Trump's lawyers to state in a court filing whether they believe <laughs> FBI agents lied about the documents seized from the former president's Florida residence in a court-authorized search last month or claimed to have taken items that were not actually in Trump's possession. In the Thursday afternoon filing, Judge Deery told Trump's legal team to state by September 30th, that's seven days from now, whether they believe any of the seized items were incorrectly described in the Justice Department's inventory list, which said some of the documents were highly classified. He also told them to say whether they're claiming any items on the inventory list were not, in fact, taken from the premises. Trump has said on social media and on television and truth social that the FBI planted items when they searched Mar-a-Lago. They planted it And he also claimed to have declassified documents found in that search that were marked classified and were highly sensitive. His lawyers have not made similar assertions in court. However, instead, saying they have not reviewed the seized materials and we can't confirm whether the government's inventory list is accurate. Deary's order, in essence, demands Trump's lawyers back up their claims. Trump's claims, quote, this submission shall be plaintiff's final opportunity to raise any factual dispute as to the completeness and accuracy of the detailed property inventory. Meaning. Now, put up or shut up. Tell me if you declassified anything and tell me if the FBI planted anything. You have till September 30th to bring that up. Deary's Thursday order said Trump's attorneys and the government should review the non-classified documents on a rolling basis. The rest of the stuff on a rolling basis with Trump's team reviewing them first and marking any they think are privileged. The Justice Department would then note whether it agrees and Deary would settle any disagreements between the two parties. They must submit all documents to Deary by October 21st. That's more than a month ahead of the Thanksgiving deadline canon set for the special master review. <laughs> Deary also said in his Thursday order that James Orenstein, a former U.S. magistrate judge from the Eastern District of New York, will help him with the review for the price of $500 per hour, which Trump has to pay. Oh,
2: all good stuff. All good stuff. It just keeps on coming. We've got Hitler cosplayer Timothy Hale Cusinelli. He's an ex-Army reservist and U.S. Capitol rider who said in January 6, 2021, was exhilarating. He felt like civil war. Well, he was sentenced on Thursday to four years in prison. Hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, the judge said this is a significant sentence, and that was from District Judge Trevor McFadden. That's a Trump guy, Trevor. Yeah. Trevor's a Trump guy. And A.G., that judge, he lambasted Hale Cusinelli, for his sexist, and racist, and anti-Semitic comments. I'm sorry, a Trump judge was upset about sexist, racist, and anti-Semitic comments. That gives me hope. Now, the judge said motivated in part of his actions that day on January 6th. Now, Cusinelli, who was convicted in May of all five charges he faced, including the felony of obstructing an official proceeding, he told the judge he would, quote, would never see my face again. Hmm. All right. He said, I disrespected my uniform. On January 6th, helkusin that's what he added, and asked the judge for mercy. He also was sentenced to three years of supervised release in order to pay $2,000 in restitution. And another quote, you absolutely knew, you and others, you knew what you were doing. That was from McFadden, from the judge, adding that Hel lied lied during his testimony in trial when he claimed he didn't know Congress met in the Capitol, (laughs) despite telling his roommate that he was just outside the House chambers during the riot. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, McFadden repeatedly castigated Kisnelli for racist commentary that normalized violence, normalizing violence, pointing to the recent increase of anti-Semitic violence in the U.S. This judge
0: sounds like a pretty good guy. I don't know, but at least in this Mm -hmm. case. Well, dude wears a Hitler mustache, right? Like, at what it's point... That fucking hard, yeah. You know, do you have to be like, okay, I kind of got to condemn you now because you <laughs> fucking have a Hitler mustache. Yeah. Shave the
2: mustache. You'd still get go four years in prison. In their sentencing memorandum, prosecutors argued that Hale Kusinelli should receive 78 months behind bars and pointed to his desire for civil war and anti-Semitic conspiracies, saying that Jews controlled Democrats, President Joe Biden, and all of government. I mean... Maybe some of that's true.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, with your space lasers, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's what know. I do with my space laser. It's pointed yeah. right at the president. That's why his eyes glow in the dark Brandon Me, Right. Those are Jewish space lasers behind there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, right. The quote went on to say, it is well established in the record at this point that Hal Kusinelli subscribes to white supremacist, to white supremacist and Nazi sympathizer ideologies that drive his enthusiasm for another civil war and formed the basis of this court's pre-trial determination that Hale Cusinelli was a danger to the community. And yeah, he fucking is. And
0: that guy's going to yeah, be behind bars for four years, and I couldn't be happier about it. Samesies. And, by the way, Dana, the 11th Circuit Court's decision that yes. I talked about earlier in the yes. Mar-a-Lago it's- case is already being cited in other cases, namely the pillow man's motion to get his phone back and to slap a restraining order on the government from reviewing its contents. <laughs> Now, I dropped this story that Lindell's lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, sued the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland yesterday. And in record time today, a Trump appointed judge outright denied Lindell, citing the 11th Circuit's decision (laughs) in the Mar a Lago case. This is from uh, Matt Naham at Law and Crime. U.S. District Judge Eric Tostred noticeably cited a Wednesday ruling by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals that significantly tailored another Trump appointed district judge's special master order. In the ongoing Mar-a-Lago case, like the Trump case, the judge noted Plaintiff Lindell is seeking a return of property while the DOJ is conducting an active criminal investigation. Quote, when the owner of seized property seeks injunctive relief for the return of property while the case remains in the investigative stage, i.e. before charges are filed, the district court must also balance the government's interest in retaining the property against the owner's right to get it back, citing Trump v. United States. Noting that a restraining order is an extraordinary remedy. Toasterd said he denied the Lindell motion to the extent it seeks an ex parte temporary restraining order directing defendants to refrain from accessing or taking any action with respect to the C cell phone until a hearing on that aspect of their motion seeking a preliminary injunction. He's basically saying, look, like the 11th Circuit said, if every criminal could complain that their stuff was taken in a search and they want it back because it's being used in a criminal investigation, which will irreparably harm them because investigations are bad for you. Then every fucking criminal in the world would do that. <laughs> no kidding. In other words, the judge wants to hear from both sides before taking a, you know, the, even considering a restraining order. The judge also ordered the pillow man to contact the court to obtain a hearing date, after which point a briefing schedule would be established. Notably, Captain. I kept my underwear on. Yep. Alan Dershowitz indicated in an interview with the Law and Crime Sidebar podcast, he intended to seek a special master in this case. Oh, good Lord. Well, given that this Trump-appointed judge quoted two other Trump-appointed judges in the 11th Circuit slamming jurisdiction for a special master, I say to Captain Underpants, good luck, fucker. (laughs) Dershowitz, he's such a fucking douchebag.
2: All right. Last story in this segment, a former director of Mississippi's Welfare Agency pleaded guilty Thursday to new federal charges in a conspiracy to misspend tens of millions of dollars that were intended to help needy families in one of the poorest states in the U.S., This is part of the largest public corruption case in the state's history. John Davis appeared in federal court to plead guilty to one count of conspiracy and one count of fraud against the government. Now, during the hearing, U.S. District Judge Carlton Reeves asked several questions about whether Davis understood the charges to which he was pleading guilty. He said, yes, sir. Reeves set sentencing for February 2nd. Davis remains free on bond, and the judge says he hopes Davis makes better decisions from now on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Reeves also said, I look forward to hoping that this portion of your life is behind you. Now, Davis was indicted on state charges in February 2020. He was re-indicted this spring on state charges that he participated in misusing welfare money, including using some to send a former pro wrestler to a luxury drug rehab facility.
0: Like, as one does. I I mean, mean, what am I going to do with this money? Who among us hasn't... Yeah,
2: just, you know, sponsored an ex-pro wrestler. Uh, The state charges are being dropped in exchange for Davis agreeing to plead guilty to federal charges and to testify against others in the case. This is important. And that's according to state court agreement filed Wednesday. Now, the state court, that document said that Davis had agreed to plead guilty to five counts of conspiracy and 13 counts of fraud in federal court, but he pleaded guilty to one count of each. Now, attorneys in federal court did not mention multiple charges or explain the contents of the state court document. Davis was executive director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services from February 2016 through 2019. He was appointed to the job by then-Governor Phil Bryant, who was a Republican. So the conspiracy charges say one of the organizations paid nearly $498,000 to one of the companies in June of 2018. Well, a few days later, that company entered a $1.1 million contract with the other company that was, quote, purportedly in exchange for creating a program to serve inner city youth. Great fucking idea. Well, the charges also say the same organization paid $700,000 that summer to the company with the youth program contract. The theft charges say Davis misused federal grants of more than $10,000, okay, in April. A mother and son who ran a nonprofit organization and an education company pleaded guilty to state charges of misusing welfare money, including on lavish gifts such as first-class airfare for Davis specifically. Now, Nancy New and Zachary New agreed to testify against the others. In a state court filing September 12th, an attorney for one of the news organizations listed text messages between who? Retired NFL quarterback Brett? Now, is it Favre or Favre? Because people are arguing about this. Favre. That's what I thought. Now, between the quarterback, Brett Favre, and Nancy New, between Favre and Bryant, and between Bryant and New. So there's this big triangle shit of text messages going on here. The messages showed discussions about millions of dollars in welfare money being directed to a pet project of Favre's, which is a volleyball facility being built at the University of Southern Mississippi. Now, why is that place important? Well, Favre, Bryant, and New all attended the university. And Favre's daughter started playing volleyball there in 2017. Favre and Bryant have not been charged in the welfare misspending case. But as I said early in the story, Mm -hmm. Davis. He's helping. Is helping against other people in the case. So I hope this son of a bitch goes down. I, I do. I hope all of them get in trouble for this. It's such bullshit.
0: Yeah well, like I said, I mean, it's very common to steal money from welfare intended to <laughs> feed poor children to help pro wrestlers go to drug rehab and build a volleyball stadium. Who among us? Hasn't. I mean that I mean think about how badly that wrestler needed that really expensive rehab and, and how important you know the volleyball stadium is. that's welfare. I just oh, can't. Dickhead. There's so fucking many. Dickheads.
2: There's so many. I said it earlier, though. There's so many bad things happening to bad people. But it's
0: giving me really good feelings. Like so many bad people mm-hmm. are having a bad week. Good. And I'm glad. Me too. And I'm going to be right back. I'm going to talk with David Korn after this to discuss his new book again, American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. You'll remember David Korn. We did. Uh, we've had interviews with him before. He wrote Russian Roulette. Yes. He's yep. very cool. Very, very excellent journalist and great writer. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back with that right after this.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody. As you know, I've been taking Athletic Greens AG1 for a while now because it was such a hassle to take so many pills and vitamins, and it was super expensive, and it took all day. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. This incredible blend of ingredients supports your gut health, aging, focus, recovery, nervous system, immune system, energy. It helps all the things. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support. They're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com dailybeans Athletic Greens fits easily into my morning schedule. It was one of the easiest habits I've ever picked up. It gives me the energy and focus I need to tackle my day and my workout and my, get my recovery and my focus. I cannot imagine life without it. Athletic Greens cost less than $3 a day, which is way cheaper than getting a, a, a 20 different supplements for yourself. Tons of people take a multivitamin. It's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Again, it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and it's delicious. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And like I said, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, plus those five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Long-time listeners, especially back to the kitchen table days, will recall one of the very first book club series we did on our show, Muller She Wrote, was about the book Russian Roulette, and it was by Isakoff and Korn. And today I am joined by one of those authors, D.C. Bureau Chief at Mother Jones, journalist and author, and his latest book is called American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. Please welcome David Korn to the show.
1: David, hello. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
0: It is really great to be with you. And first off, I just want to kick off by saying your writing style, these are page turners. And ever since going all the way back to Russian Roulette with you and Isikoff and diving into that book and learning so much about things like Carter Page and his entanglement with a bunch of Russian spies and, and how that sort of led to FISA warrants, et cetera. And, and now we've, we've come full circle with the dismissal of his lawsuits. Absolutely incredible writing. And now this new book is called American Psychosis. I want to talk to you a little bit about it because it's out now. Everyone can get it. And, and it's just it's got that same incredible writing style. And it's, it's just, you know, I chewed through it. Tell us about why you decided to call the book. It's got, it's sort of got this American Psycho sort of ring to it. Why did you decide to title the book American Psychosis?
1: Well, the book is a history of the seven decades long Republican effort to encourage and exploit extremism that includes bigotry, hatred, racism, and in particular, paranoia and conspiracy theory. Basically, you know, short pitch, it didn't start with Trump. The Republican Party has been entangled with far-right fanaticism as a key part of its electoral strategy going back to the late 40s, early 1950s. And often, this has put it in touch with what I would call a detachment from reality. You know, the big lie is obviously the most pressing example that we have at this moment in time. There are tens of millions of Americans who claim, or, or say they believe, that the election was stolen by Trump, that Biden's not legitimate president. This is not true. It's not reality. And the condition of psychosis is when you can't recognize reality, when you live in a delusion. And I think a lot of these Americans are living in a delusion that has been fueled and fed by Donald Trump and enabled by. All the Republicans who tend to enable him, and now being exploited by Trump as he moves ahead towards a possible uh, another election. So to me, it's sort of like a political disease, you know, American psychosis. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a political disease that's infecting not just the people who um, believe things that are crazy and wrong, but how it's distorting the whole political nature in, in, of the country and the political discourse we're, we're having here. But if you look, you know, it's sort of one of the starting points, and you go back to McCarthyism in the early 50s, which was a was started by John McCarthy, a Republican senator from Wisconsin, but then was fully endorsed and embraced by the whole Republican Party. At some point, they, you know, they, they did distance, some of them distance themselves to McCarthy when he got too excessive but he was preaching crazy stuff from the get-go, and the party uh, saw that as being advantageous to its electoral prospects, and it basically took advantage and capitalized on what was a psychosis at that point in time, believing that the Reds were everywhere, that they had infiltrated the government, and that as McCarthy himself claimed, there was a secret cabal that was trying to destroy the United States from within, it was made up of elites and cabinet officials and Democratic officials. It was very much like QAnon, but without the baby eating and Satan worshiping and sex trafficking. So it was a psychosis uh, of, of its own back then. And it has, you know, seven decades later, we see another psychosis um, being exploited and fueled by the Republican Party.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about how that's evolved or more importantly, why it's evolved from, you know, back then, seven decades ago, the fear, the paranoia, the conspiracy theories, they were more subsumed. They were more hidden. Then they became thinly veiled. And now, as evidenced by Donald's latest rally in Ohio, which I've seen you talk about on on some of the major news networks, it's just right out in the open playing QAnon theme songs, the one finger salute. I mean, it's it's just right out in the open, what is it that has allowed it to flourish and become part of the mainstream and, and less of a, you know, a kind of a fringe theory? Is it that, you know, they, they now are, are finding ways to, to steal votes and hold on to power so they don't care so much about uh, the message or how they look? What, what, do you, what do you talk about in the book that sort of discusses how it just becomes more open and open and open?
1: Well, when I started this book a little over a year ago, I had no idea how timely and relevant it would be upon its publication. (laughs) Because one thing you, you know, and when you do history, sometimes you see patterns that are just so damn obvious, you hit yourself over the head for not having seen it before, even when you lived through it. You know, half of this book, you know, covers the time period in which I was a reporter writing on a lot of these episodes that I, I, I recount in the book. But it took it took sitting down for a year and going through all this, and writing and pulling it together to sort of understand the sweep of history here. And so, one thing you see is that it's always been part of the DNA of the Republican Party to dance with the devil, to play footsie, to to somehow embrace far right extremism for electoral gain. It's always, always been there. It's you know, it's Washington Wayne, and some Republicans, some presidential candidates and presidents have done it more than others. But it's never not been there. And then, you know, if you look at, say, starting with Newt Gingrich in the 90s, who, you know, following up on sort of the rhetoric that had been developed by Rush Limbaugh, he was out there demonizing Democrats. He actually put out a list of words that he advised other Republicans to use when debating Democrats. and It was enemy, radical, traitor, treasonous, anti-american, anti-child, anti-family. You know, it was again it was dehumanizing and demonizing the opposition and telling voters that um, democrats, progressives, liberals are the enemy of America. Not that they're wrong, but they're the enemy and they are here to destroy America. Playing up on a theme that had been developed by the new right in the 70s and helped lead to Ronald Reagan's presidential victory in 1980. So he does that in in, in the 90s. In two thousand eight, Sarah Palin is running for vice president, and she's giving speeches saying Obama is essentially a terrorist supporter. He pals on a terrorist and he wants to impose the type of tyranny that we've seen in other countries, meaning socialist and communistic tyranny, and people at her rallies are out there screaming, communists, kill him, kill him, kill kill Obama. I mean, I, I was at those rallies covering them as a reporter, mm-hmm. and with other political reporters who had been doing this for decades. And at the time, no one had ever seen such hate, uh, such visceral hatred on open display at political rallies. It was quite shocking and disturbing and sometimes even frightening. Uh, And the McCain campaign went along with this. It wasn't just Sarah Palin going rogue. It was part of the McCain strategy. And then you go to the Tea Party, you know, 2009, 2010. And then, you know, it's further intensified in which the Tea Party folks are literally saying, Barack Obama is a secret socialist Muslim born in Kenya who has a secret plan to destroy the American economy so he can impose a totalitarian dictatorship and become emperor. This is what they were saying literally to you know uh, Tea Party rallies that were full of racism and anti-Semitism, and it was what Glenn Beck was saying every night on Fox. And who was appearing on Fox with him? John Boehner, Sarah Palin, and a host of other prominent Republicans legitimizing and validating this argument that Barack Obama was some sort of you know, satanic evil force who was going to impose death panels and concentration camps coming around. at Tea Party rallies were saying, I'm afraid I'm going to be sent to a concentration camp. Uh, we're still, you know, Barack Obama gave people health care. We haven't seen too many concentration camps since then. But the Republican Party wanted this Tea Party energy and these votes within its tent and Boehner encouraged all this. And so, you know, Donald Trump comes around in 2015, and we've just had 25 years of, of leading Republican voices in league with conservative media, Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, and others, saying that Democrats and progressives want to destroy Christianity, want to destroy America, they are the enemy within, they are subverting it, they're coming for your kids, what all the various things. And then you have these 15 candidates on this debate stage arguing about who has the better capital gains plan. You know, I have, I'm better on housing, Jeb Bush says to Bobby Jindal. And Chris Christie says, well, I can do great on transportation and infrastructure. And like the Republican base at this point has been told that the Democrats are coming to steal your babies. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at capital gains. We don't give a fig about that. Mm-hmm. The base has been increasingly radicalized and told to believe far out conspiracy theories. And Trump comes along and says, I don't need to talk about, you know, tax policy. You know, I can go on the show with Alex Jones, which he did, and praise Alex Jones. When there was a guy, at one of his rallies in the fall of November 2015, who said something like, we got to get rid of all the Muslims. And Trump says, you know, we're looking into that. Mm -hmm. Um, So he recognized either, you know, through study or intuition that the Republican base had become so open to this red meat demonizing form of politics that he said that's all I have to give them you know it was probably somewhat of an experiment at the time but it but it worked and showed that's where they were so we have 30 40 years of this escalation before trump grabs the, you know grabs the ball and runs with it and throughout the presidency you know it, it, it keeps expanding when he, you know he was you know q comes around in 20 17, 2018, 2019, and he starts flirting with it. He won't de- denounce it. He says, oh, I hear they're against pedophilia and they love me. What's wrong with that? Right? And so he's playing to this. He's playing to other conspiracy theories. He's saying that Joe Biden is in league with Antifa to impose far-left fascism and destroy suburban America, meaning white America, of course. These are all things he's saying for the 2020 campaign. So I don't look at it as something changing that now allows him to embrace QAnon in the open, it's a pretty steady path through his political career, which takes off from a pretty steady path that led to his involvement in American politics. So um, I'm not sure something has changed that now allows him to embrace QAnon openly. It seems in retrospect, he was always going in this direction. And that you know, perhaps as he gets more extreme in his attack of the deep state, maybe he gets more desperate with these investigations, you know, circling him, that he s- sees the value in in energizing and animating the most extreme, enthusiastic base he can do. And you see a lot of Christian nationalism becoming more prominent for him and the Republican Party, with Doug Mastriano and others. You know, showing how clued in or connected in they are to far right Christian nationalism. So it's you know extremism is on the march. He's leading that march. You know, the good thing is if you looked at the you know the Ohio rally from a few days ago where he you know played the QAnon song or a song that sounded just like it, and they seemed to be doing a QAnon salute days after he embraced QAnon, it was half empty. Mm-hmm. You know, look, it, 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 you know. When you see the cutaway, you see the people there, and it looks a little less frightening than when you just see the camera zoom in. But at the same time, so i you know, not saying this is like a best-selling formula for him, but what I find more frightening is that while he's becoming more extreme and embracing extremism to a greater extent than he had even done before, no one in the Republican Party is batting an eye. No one's saying, you know, which always happens, no one says, well, this time you've gone too far. Well, this is crazy that the leader of the party, who has also said that he would pardon all the January 6th insurrectionists who beat up cops, you know, now embracing this conspiracy theory that has led to all sorts of acts of violence. No one in the the Republican Party is publicly saying, this is too much for me, this is a bad idea, this is not what the Republican Party stands for. They all just silently, as they have been for the last five, six, seven years, going along with Donald Trump's demagoguery and creeping, not so much creeping, authoritarianism.
0: Yeah, with the exception of one or two, you know, Liz Cheney coming out and saying she overheard in the cloakroom. She's not in the party anymore. Oh, the things we do for the orange Jesus. But so, Yeah, 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 I get what you're saying. This is sort of the natural progression of things. It wasn't like all of a sudden. I mean, you know, good people on both sides at Charlottesville. Proud boys stand back and stand by the absolute corruption of the Supreme Court with the white Christian nationalism. And we also see the same figures pop up again and again. We, we Sarah Palin just ran. She lost, but she just ran again in Alaska. We have Newt Gingrich, who all of a sudden is, is uh, being subpoenaed by the January 6th committee for his encouragement of, of trying to overthrow the government in the 2020 election and overturn the election. So these faces, you know, it's not just the ideas. It's the same people that keep popping up again and again.
1: Yeah, and in fact, if you look at the cover of my book American Psychosis, you will know, see Newt and Sarah Palin. <laughs> that's Payland, why, that's why I brought him up. And yeah. Donald Trump and the you know and and the and the QAnon shaman and Rush Limbaugh and uh, Pat Robertson, who's still out there saying crazy things. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, that's the pattern that I saw with you know in writing and researching American Psychosis. You know, it, it's not new with Trump over the last few years. It's not even new with Newt Gingrich. It goes back to McCarthyism. It's it's Goldwater making an alliance with the John Birch Society. It's Richard Nixon cutting a deal with white supremacists in order to get the nomination in 68. It's Ronald Reagan embracing religious right leaders when leaders of the religious right are calling, literally, literally, calling for the execution of homosexual Americans because they think, you know, it's a capital crime under God's law. It's both George, Bush's working with Pat Robertson. I mean, in some ways, you know, I didn't set out with this in mind, but my my book is the history of the dark side of the Republican Party. It's always been there. And even if you look at someone like Mitt Romney, who, you know, called himself a progressive Republican when he was the governor of Massachusetts, you know, ran to the right in twenty twelve when he, you know, when the Tea Party was active and he wanted to get the Republican Party nomination, voted against Trump, and by all accounts, I know people know him personally, you know, a decent fellow who's a good neighbor and cares that people work for him directly, not necessarily about the companies he, you know, picked apart when he worked at Bain Capital, but, um, you know, he's seen as, like, you know, now a moderate Republican, you know, not prone to all this stuff. In 2011, when he was running you know, in the Republican primary, and there was a lot of Tea Party opposition to him. What did he do? He embraced Donald Trump when Donald Trump was the number one proponent of the racist birther conspiracy theory. Well, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know, he he accepted Donald Trump's endorsement. He literally hugged him during the endorsement ceremonies. So I said embrace, I mean embrace. Donald Trump did fundraising for Mitt Romney throughout the campaign and robocalls for him. So, you know, Romney himself wasn't out there promoting birtherism and conspiracy theory stuff, which was a, a major animating force of the far right, but he was basically saying that the guy leading that effort, Donald Trump, was legitimate and was an important player in the Republican Party. I mean, up to then, Trump was not really even considered much of a Republican. And when Mitt Romney you know, accepts his support, he is conveying legitimacy upon Donald Trump and upon the a conspiracy theory, even though Romney himself you know, did not support it directly. So uh, I find again and again that the darks, you know, call it the dark side, it's always, always there. And the Republican Party, the leaders, the candidates, are always either encouraging it, exploiting it, or in some ways accommodating it. And that allows it to grow and fester. It's sort of like a virus. It's, you know it explodes, it contracts, it never goes away. It's always in the bloodstream to some degree. and it leads to the political crisis we are now. So um I mean, I, I didn't fully understand this before I wrote the book, but now it's just really is a pretty clear, coherent through line to the history of the modern Republican Party.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Out now, a 70 to 70 year history of the, of the rise of the dark side of the Republican Party. It's called American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy by D.C. Bureau Chief Mother Jones, journalist and author David Korn. David, thank you so much for joining me today. I know everyone is going to, uh, you know, I don't know if enjoy is <laughs> is the word learn a lot. And be educated about what's been going on for the past seven decades from your book. I appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. There's a lot of wild stories in it. So I do think it has some entertainment value as well. But thanks for having me.
0: Oh yeah. No, you're absolutely right on that, Mark. Actually, before I let you go, could you tell us the wildest story from the book to give everybody oh, a little bit of taste of what, what we can expect?
1: Well, there's one story that that that, that actually I talked about with, with Joe Scarborough, and I was really surprised he picked up on this. Um, in nineteen fifty-two. Dwight David Eisenhower is running for president for the first time, and he's running as a Republican. He wasn't much of a Republican prior to this. He, I think, picked a party in order to run for president. And he hates Joe McCarthy. He despises him, knows he's a liar, knows he's a scoundrel. And McCarthy has given a speech, you know, shortly before this, in which he claimed that George C. Marshall, who had been Army Chief of Staff, worked with Eisenhower to win the war, They were colleagues and friends, then, you know, put forward the Marshall Plan and helped save Europe and became Secretary of State for Harry S. Truman and then became Secretary of Defense. McCarthy claimed that he was leading the secret band of traitors within the U.S. government trying to weaken the United States so it would fall into the hands of Moscow. I mean, that's literally what McCarthy said that george c marshall war hero statesman head of the pentagon was a basically a soviet agent and so eisenhower despised this in particular and despised mccarthy they're campaigning together in 1952 joe mccarthy and, and ike ike's up ike's running for president mccarthy's up for re-election and he's a senator from wisconsin they're doing a whistle stop train tour together through wisconsin And Eisenhower asked a junior speechwriter to put a paragraph into the speech he's going to give that night at the big rally at Marquette University where McCarthy is an alumni and he'll be on the stage. And this paragraph basically denounces McCarthy, not by name, but it defends Marshall and talks about unfair accusations and how we can't have this in America. Everybody would know what this paragraph meant. And so the draft starts circulating on the train that McCarthy's on and and Eisenhower's on. And the governor of Wisconsin, Republican, the head of the Republican National Committee is there, and Sherman Adams, the Republican governor of New Hampshire, who's chief of staff to Eisenhower, they see this draft and they go ballistic. This is going to hurt the Republicans in Wisconsin. And maybe even more importantly, McCarthy was drawing a lot of Catholic voters who had previously been loyal to the Democrats into the Republican Party, so if Eisenhower attacked McCarthy, it could drive away some Catholic voters, push them back to the Democrats. So they, you know, go to Eisenhower and they say, "You can't do this." And they explain the political calculus here, and Eisenhower says, "Okay, take it out." And that night he gives a speech that the Milwaukee Journal criticizes for being light McCarthyism, that he ends up echoing McCarthy rather than denouncing it. Hmm. And when we're talking about this on the air, um, on Morning Joe, Joe said, you know, I read that and it was very sad to me because Eisenhower was my hero. And maybe this was one of those early points where, you know, decision or de- turning point for the Republican Party, where maybe there was a chance to try to keep the crazy, you know, locked up to the side and not make at it at bay, yeah, yeah. Keep it at bay, and not make it a crucial part of the Republican Party. And Eisenhower, courageous man, helped win the war. President of Columbia University, who recognized the danger of McCarthyism, did not have the courage to do so.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. And um, just a, a little bit, just a little window into the book. Like I said, everybody, it's available now wherever you get your books. Again, it's called American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. David Court, again, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news.
1: Hey, I'm Ben Mycelis. I'm Brett Mycelis. And I'm Jordy. And we are the hosts of the Midas Touch podcast, the top rated, top watched political podcast for pro-democracy content. Each week we do multiple episodes where we break down the political issues of the day here in the United States and abroad as we fight for democracy. Isn't that right, Brett? That's right, Ben. We've had conversations with some incredible guests like White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Beto O'Rourke, DNC Chair, Jamie Harrison,
0: Glenn Kirshner, Mary Trump, celebrities like Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milano, Michael Rappaport,
1: and more. So subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Midas Touch, M-E-I-P-A-S-T-O-U-C-H podcast. Jordy, anything to add? Shout out to the Midas, my
0: Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Near. <laughs> good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, idioms you like to mix up, if you have a new swear you want to share with us, if you want to play What the Mutt, where we guess what, your, what breeds your awesome rescue pup has, or if you want to send a photo of your pets or adoptable pets in your area, anything. Shit kids say? Should adults say? shit you say? Shouts out. Shouts out? Shout outs? Shout <laughs> to out your favorite people. Whatever you want to send to us, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. First up from Mame. I'm a huge fan. Maybe, maybe? I'm a huge fan. Been in the club since the kitchen days. You were one of my only sources of news during a bad mental health season during the previous guy's administration. Thank you for all the updates and perspectives you and your guests provide. I want to submit a correction about Navy Yard. Is versus Naval Observatory. The Navy Yard is located in Southeast D.C. near Eastern Market. The Naval Observatory, where the VP lives, is located in Northwest D.C. in a high-priced neighborhood area located near the National Cathedral. There's nothing there. It's on a dark, wooded street. It feels very far away from the city. It would be scary getting dumped off on a bus there. Fun fact, the official accurate measure of time is provided from that facility. A.G. and D.G., you are just the best. I grew up in rural Western P.A., near where A.G. grew up. My favorite beans moments are when you make each other laugh and everything falls apart. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for bringing joy to our lives, along with all the other important topics you cover. Keep up the awesome work. Ah, yes. Naval Observatory. Just want you to know that that happens more often than you all hear.
2: Just sometimes we take it out of the show. I think we should keep the outtakes in sometimes. And they do. But yeah,
0: those are my favorite times, too. I think so, too. In fact, that whole corn thing that I, was happening during the... Which probably, I hope they leave that in.
2: <laughs> Are you Something has happened since COVID where I have a horrible whistle when I laugh sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear it? Yeah, I did, I did. I don't know. Anyway. All right, we're going to move on to Julie B, pronouns she and her. Dear Beanie Babes. I'm sure you've seen this classic shirt before, always a favorite of mine, and a wonderfully appropriate article of clothing when you're trying to make a point. My thought is that you F-bomb queens should resurrect and repurpose this little gem as either the back or front of your Crimes and Crimes and Crimes tee as an enhancement such as, fuck you, you fucking guilty fuck, or fuck you, you guilty fucking fuck. (laughs) You get the idea. I just love when fuck is used as a verb, adjective and noun, all in the same sentence. Plus, Sam. for those who don't understand your crimes t-shirt, the light bulb may go on as you walk away. That's true. <laughs> anyway, just another merch idea for you, body ma- <laughs> for you potty mouths to love. You women are the F-bombs in my life and give me hope every day, as do all the strong and fierce women all over the country who are fighting to save the soul of this fragile democracy by not being silent. Hmm. It would be the women who save us. And make no mistake, you are both tops on that list. Oh, man. Thank you for that, Julie. P.S. Here's my sweet little pussy willow. Adopted in April from the Friends of Plymouth Pound, Mona Mona May, Massachusetts. Come on. Monomé?
0: Maybe I got one it's right. probably like Manomet. It's probably Manomet, but it looks man-a-man-a. like Monomé, even though Massachusetts when you say is it, in French. Manomet, ma, mass, it's a It's Manomena,
2: yeah. Manomena, do-do-do-do. Yeah. Yeah. I've had many cats and dogs in my life, but she's the first orange tabby I've ever owned and such a lover. Beware, she will sink her t- tiny teeth into you if, if you rub her belly too long. Thanks again for the work you do. And I tried to say Monomé, mm-hmm. Monomet, me as many times as, as j- many times as I could wrong, so no one knows h- what to correct now. Because otherwise, we're going to get fifteen <laughs> corrections, and I'll be like, "That's what I said."
0: <laughs> Everybody, write in and tell us how to pronounce Monamut ma. Monamut ma. we ma. Get it. We'll get it. We'll get it right. I promise. Look at the babies. Oh, look at the toe beans. Pink toe beans. Cute toe beans. And speaking of babies, look at these next oh, goddamn pictures. My god i know from jackie pronoun she and her high beans queen some halloween pictures from you from my favorite tradition the annual bunny ear photo as the children have gotten older they become less enthusiastic but they're good sports happy happy news week thank you look at
2: look, look at, at the baby the second one in the top left and the left the one on the left is like i'm a baby don't really know what's happening but it's <laughs> squeezing my head
0: <laughs> so cute oh so cute and then look, look at the little Captain America and the army guy. Those are awesome. I don't know what the middle character is, but it's
2: awesome. Isn't that the emotion from... Um, maybe, maybe. I'm, I hate to say this. Is that sadness from Upside Down? No, what is that? What's the thing around the neck? Oh, no. It, it's probably not sadness because... Yeah, I that's something tell. else. It's, and the, the pants and everything else. It's got to be a character I'm not aware of but it's awesome amazing. costumes that's
0: an incredible costume regardless of us being too old to know what that is I oh know. and look at the next one so good i love the little batman oh i love these all the pirate the zombie is that a zombie i'm assuming that's a zombie thank you for that submission that was wonderful next up from denise pronoun she and her hi lovely ladies new listener here i love the pod so much I become a patron. Thank you. Currently binge listening to old episodes. I'm up to December 22nd, 2020. All right, Denise, stop what you're doing and listen to January 5th, 2021. It's called, uh, what is it? Uh, Charismatic megaplastics. megaplastics. You're going to die. Okay. It's absolutely fascinating Listen to you discuss the crazy shit that was happening pre-January 6th, given what we know now. Seditious conspiracy. Oh, my fucking God. I'm in Australia and politics here is very boring. But like President Biden once said, attack on democracy anywhere is attack on democracy everywhere. So here I am engrossed in the journey to make that orange idiot pay for his crimes and in some way punish him for all the disgusting things he's done and said to people for decades. I have one question, though. When Trump is gone, AG, can you please keep impersonating him every now and then? Because (laughs) you saying stupid shit in his fucked up voice makes me laugh, makes me laugh out loud every time. It's incredible. I just think it and it happens. Pod pet tax. My four Aussie shepherds, left to right: Asher, Jive, Jaffa, and the old man of the house. Oh, look at how man. beautiful these dogs are! Oh, and they're so smart too. Oh these man, are so smart! They're look at gorgeous. that beautiful old man. So we got a couple of blue merls and a red merle and this black and white guy with that looks like a very distinguished beard. So
2: sweet. All right. I'm so glad you're listening from Australia. And we'll keep doing what we're doing. This is from Laura, pronouns she and her. Oh, my God. I know. Hello, Beans Queens. I love the show, and I'm a relatively new listener. I first heard Allison when she was a guest on Gam, God Awful Movies, right before the first episode of Clean Up on Isle 45. I've been listening to the (laughs) Beans ever since.
0: Yes, the movie was called Order of Rights, and it was the dumbest fucking thing ever.
2: (laughs) As pet tax, please accept my picture of Tybalt, Princess of Cats. She is playing with Rattlebug since I refuse to get the cricket out of the ceiling light.
0: <laughs> <laughs> As one does. I'm oh my good. God.
2: Definitely looking for the cricket in the second photo. Oh,
0: she's so beautiful. Oh, all right. Last up Lance. No pronouns. Been a fan since before Ollie. Uh, Ollie. Okay. He is a two year old. Oh, this is Ollie. Two year old standard poodle. So have been a fan for at least two years though. We're often asked what kind of, doodle he is he's a standard poodle a poodle doodle here's a a picture of him watching the queen's funeral not too impressed with the pomp and circumstance but somehow he sensed that she loves dogs oh look at that dog cookie it's a poodle doodle so funny what kind of doodle is that the poodle kind it's a poodle kind oh what a regal dog so sweet probably like there's royalty i'm royalty i get it that's kind of that's the that's the feeling i get there for sure Thank you, everybody, for sending in your good news. It's been a hell of an amazing week. Really, honestly, truly a great week for Justice. And uh, we'll be back in your ears uh, Monday um, with with more beans. So, Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? No final thoughts for today. Do you want to remind everyone about your show in Salt Lake City in November? I'll be happy to.
2: November 5th, Salt Lake City. There's going to be a big blowout of a show. It's going to be at, I believe, Hilton in uh, downtown Salt Lake. You can go to utahpridecenter.org, utahpridecenter.org for all the information. I'll be doing a 20-minute uh, comedy set as well as emceeing the event, and it's going to be a black tie, red carpet. We're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, it goes toward a great cause. So if you're in Salt Lake or the surrounding areas, go get some tickets at
0: utahpridecenter.org,
2: and I'll see you there.
0: So awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and thanks to everyone new with us. Again, if you're new and you haven't heard the January 5th, 2021, the day before the insurrection episode called Charismatic Megaplastics. Go do yourself a favor um, some point this weekend when you're out on a walk or whatever. Take a listen. Very interesting. Interesting stuff the day before the insurrection. Anyway, that's it. That's our show. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. We will see you Monday again on the Beans. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And for God's sakes, take someone with you. I've been AG and I've been DG. And them's the beans. Corn Cone. It's got the juice. Cone. This lump with knobs. I have no idea what you're saying. Oh, you've never seen Corn, kid? I haven't watched it. Oh, you have to watch it. Oh, look it it
2: up. I was like, is she okay? (laughs) Like, is she talking to me? She's not talking to me. Is she... (laughs) Because every once in a while you go, I was talking to you and I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) I like the grease. Okay.